0: Welcome to the June 25th, 2020 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. Today, we'll examine the cause and clinical significance of dysplastic hematopoiesis at time of diagnosis in patients with multiple myeloma review a multi-omics analysis of patients that have undergone blastic transformation of chronic myeloid leukemia, and learn about HLA alleles that are either risk factors or protective for immune-mediated TTP in Japan. First, let's take a look at data presented in the blood article entitled Biological and Clinical Significance of Dysplastic Hematopoiesis in Patients with Newly Diagnosed Multiple Myeloma by Katerina Alexandra Maya, Bruno Paiva, and their colleagues from the Spanish Myeloma Group. Although the mortality rate for patients with multiple myeloma has improved significantly over the years, second primary malignancies are still a concern, in particular, myelodysplastic syndrome or acute myeloid leukemia. It is currently unclear whether genomic alterations driving the malignant transformation of myeloid clones already existed at time of diagnosis of myeloma or were acquired as a result of therapy for myeloma, although prior studies suggest that this risk was present before the introduction of high-dose melphalan and immunomodulatory drugs now used to treat multiple myeloma. In addition, although clonal hematopoiesis is now recognized to be highly prevalent in the elderly... Its occurrence in the context of multiple myeloma remains largely unknown. To address these open questions, Maya et al. investigated the incidence and clinical significance of dysplastic hematopoiesis at the time of diagnosis of multiple myeloma. The team used multidimensional flow cytometry, or MFC, to prospectively screen for presence of MDS-associated phenotypic alterations in the bone marrow of 285 multiple myeloma patients enrolled in this trial. They also analyzed marrow samples to see whether mutations associated with clonal hematopoiesis and MDS were present. At the time of diagnosis, they found that 33 out of 285 cases, or 11.6%, displayed MDS-associated phenotypic changes by multidimensional flow cytometry. These included aberrant expression of CD56 on monocytes. In 67 patients, bulk and single-cell targeted sequencing of CD34 positive marrow progenitors was performed. Clonal hematopoiesis was found in 13 out of 26, or 50%, of patients who had MDS-associated phenotypic changes by flow cytometry versus 9 out of 41, or 22%, of those without any phenotypic changes. TET2 and NRAS were the most frequently mutated genes. The dynamics of MDS-associated phenotypic changes at diagnosis and after autologous transplant were also evaluated in 86 patients. In most cases, autologous transplant had no effect on whether or not marrow displayed dysplastic hematopoiesis. An important observation was that MDS-associated mutations rarely emerged after high-dose therapy. Based on multidimensional flow cytometry profiling, the authors also found that patients with MDS-associated phenotypic changes had expansion of myeloid and erythroid precursors and altered Treg distribution in the marrow. Finally, to assess whether dysplastic hematopoiesis at the time of diagnosis has clinical consequences for multiple myeloma patients, They analyzed data available from 1,252 patients enrolled in four Spanish myeloma group protocols. CD56 positive aberrant monocytes were found in the marrow of 70 out of 1,252 patients, or 5.6%. This subgroup of patients had more frequent anemia and neutropenia during treatment, and also had significantly reduced progression-free and overall survival. For example, The overall survival was 50 months, compared to 79 months for patients who did not have myelodysplastic monocytes at the time of diagnosis. In conclusion, this informative study found that 1 out of 10 patients with myeloma displays MDS-associated phenotypic abnormalities at diagnosis and have inferior survival. These results unveil the biological and clinical significance of dysplastic hematopoiesis in newly diagnosed multiple myeloma and support the use of cost-effective multidimensional flow cytometry as a screening tool. In an accompanying commentary, Paola Neri from the University of Calgary in Canada notes that it will be important to confirm these findings in a larger cohort of patients with prolonged long-term follow-up. In addition, while flow cytometry could be used as a screening method, novel sequencing technologies such as single-cell genomics coupled with barcoding of the myeloma clone and its bone marrow niche, could allow better detection of clonal hematopoiesis and its interplay with the microenvironment. Next up, we'll discuss evidence from the blood article entitled An Integrative Model of Pathway Convergence in Genetically Heterogeneous Blast Crisis Chronic Myeloid Leukemia by Drs. Koh and Lee from Duke NUS Medical School in Singapore, and Javed and Patharaja, from the Genome Institute of Singapore and the University of Hong Kong and their colleagues, including Alex Hilmer, from the University of Cologne in Germany, and Tiong Ong from Duke NUS Medical School. Chronic myelogenous leukemia, commonly known as CML, is a genetically simple disease caused by the BCR-ABL1 fusion gene. This results in a chronic myeloproliferative neoplasm characterized by an overproduction of granulocytes and their progenitors. If untreated, CML will always progress from chronic phase to an aggressive and often fatal acute-like leukemia with either myeloid or lymphoid blast crisis. able one tyrosine kinase inhibitors, or TKI, have revolutionized the treatment of chronic phase CML. Most patients diagnosed in chronic phase respond well, with 10-year survival rates of greater than 80% in some series, although continuous TKI treatment is needed. However, patients who develop late-stage blast crisis CML continue to die from TKI-resistant disease. Blast crisis cells acquire complex molecular alterations that confer stemness features and resistance to BCR-able tyrosine kinase inhibitors. In addition to being genetically heterogeneous, Blast crisis is also relatively uncommon in the post-TKI era, and mouse models are problematic. These factors have made it difficult to establish comprehensive models of blast crisis transformation, which is important in order to develop biomarkers predicting CML progression and effective therapies. In an effort to better understand CML blast crisis, this team performed an integrated multi-omics analysis of 74 chronic phase and blast crisis CML patient samples, many of them paired. Their analysis included whole genome and exome sequencing, transcriptome and methylome profiling, and chromatin immunoprecipitation, followed by high-throughput sequencing. The findings in this comprehensive study revealed the importance of pathways regulated by polycomb repressive complexes, or PRCs. PRCs are multi-protein complexes with histone modification activity and, in general, act to repress gene expression. However, mechanisms by which PRCs contribute to malignant transformation are diverse and disease-specific. Employing pathway-based analysis of CML blast crisis cells, these authors found the blast crisis genome was significantly enriched for mutations affecting components of both PRC1 and PRC2. Moreover, transcriptome analysis showed that blast crisis progenitors were enriched for PRC1-related gene sets and depleted for those regulated by PRC2. The investigators integrated the datasets to determine that blast crisis progenitors undergo PRC-driven epigenetic reprogramming toward a convergent transcriptomic state. Surprisingly, these transcriptomic features were very similar between individual patients with CML blast crisis. The results are consistent with a scenario in which PRC2 directs DNA hypermethylation, which silences key genes involved in myeloid differentiation and tumor suppressor function via so-called epigenetic switching. At the same time, PRC1 represses an overlapping and distinct set of genes, including novel blast crisis tumor suppressors, This integrated model of blast crisis also suggested possible drug combinations that could reverse the epigenetic reprogramming of blast crisis cells. The investigators tested clinical-grade inhibitors of PRC1 and PRC2, either alone or in combination with hypodna-methylating agents, already in widespread clinical use, on CML cell lines and patient samples, finding promising results using combinatorial therapy. In summary, key points of this study are as follows. Genetically heterogeneous blast crisis progenitors demonstrate molecular convergence on PRC1 and PRC2 regulated pathways. A model of PRC driven reprogramming identifies novel blast crisis combination therapies, tumor suppressor genes, and gene expression signatures that are biomarkers for transformation. As noted in the accompanying commentary by Geotopoulos and Huntley, From the Cambridge Stem Cell Institute at the University of Cambridge in the UK, perhaps the most interesting findings of the study were the apparent different functions of the PRC1 and PRC2 complexes and the proposed epigenetic crosstalk during progression to blast crisis. While PRC1 seems to maintain the established blast crisis transcriptional signature, PRC2 appears to prime genes for subsequent repression by DNA methylation. They also point out that this detailed and thorough investigation inspires many interesting questions. For example, does the convergent pattern of gene expression reflect a common mechanism of transformation, or is it the endpoint effector of multiple mechanisms? What is the relationship between this common pathway and BCR-ABLE signaling? In CML blast crisis, are PRC complexes and the DNA methylation machinery worthwhile therapeutic targets? The dataset generated in this study should be a rich resource for these and other future investigations. Now for a review of the report published in Blood entitled, HLA Loci Predisposing to Immune TTP in Japanese, Potential Role of the Shared adams 13 Peptide Bound to Different HLA-DR by Kazuya Sakai from NARA Medical University, Japan, and colleagues. Thrombotic thrombocytopenic purpura, commonly referred to as TTP, is a rare and devastating disease resulting from a severe deficiency of the von Willebrand factor, or VWF, cleaving protease, ADAMTS-13. This condition leads to the accumulation of ultra-large VWF multimers in the circulation and life-threatening microvascular thrombi, due to an imbalance between ADAMS-13 and VWF. There are two types of TTP, congenital and acquired. Congenital TTP is caused by mutations in the ADAMS-13 gene. In acquired immune-mediated TTP, or ITTP, patients develop antibodies against ADAMS-13 that either enhance its clearance from the blood or inhibit its VWF processing activity. While progress has been made in understanding the pathophysiology of ITTP and as well as a rationale for targeted therapies, there is still a limited understanding of the immunopathogenesis of ITTP. Causes of autoimmunity are typically multifactorial, but the HLA system often plays an important role as a genetic risk factor. The development of high-affinity adams 13 antibodies is a key feature of ITTP. Which implies cooperation between T cells and B cells. Moreover, activation of atoms 13 specific T cells requires recognition of atoms 13 peptides. Thus, HLA molecules could be predisposing factors for ITTP. In fact, recent studies in Caucasian patients identified HLA class II locus DRB111 and DQB103 as genetic risk factors for ITTP, while DRB104 was a protective allele. Additional studies showed that activation of ADAMS13-specific CD4-positive T-cells requires uptake of ADAMS13-derived peptides on HLA molecules by antigen-presenting cells. These peptides were found to have core sequences originating from the CUB2 domain of the ADAMS13 protein. However, The role of HLA in Asians with ITTP was unknown. In this illuminating report, Sakai et al. studied 10 HLA loci using next-generation sequencing to perform high-resolution HLA typing in 52 Japanese patients with ITTP. Results were compared to those of a Japanese control group. The investigators identified predisposing and protective HLA alleles significantly associated with ITTP in the Japanese population. And these were completely different from those observed in Caucasians. Predisposing alleles for ITTP in the Japanese cohort included DRB10803, DRB345, DQA10103, and DQB10601. The estimated haplotype consisting of these four alleles was significantly more frequent in the Japanese ITTP patients. Than in controls. In additional studies, the authors used in silico modeling studies to examine HLA interactions with ADAMS 13 peptides. The HLA DR molecules encoded by DRB10803, which is a risk factor in the Japanese, and DRB11101, a risk factor in Caucasians, have different peptide binding motifs. Interestingly, both HLA DR proteins, Despite being encoded by different alleles, were predicted to be able to bind to cub2 domain atoms thirteen peptides, as noted by Paul Capo from the French Reference Center for Thrombotic Microangiopathies in the Hospital Saint Antoine, Paris. Limitations of the study are the relatively small number of patients, and that the binding studies between the HLA DR molecules and the cub2 derived peptides are based only on in silico analysis. Nevertheless, the results support the view that the HLA system represents a major universal risk factor, involved in the loss of tolerance of our immune system toward ADAMS-13, and will help drive future investigations. These include how the HLA risk alleles interact with additional factors, such as sex, obesity, and different genetic risk factors, as well as the implications for immune tolerance-based therapies. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to www.bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of Blood Podcast. Thank you for listening.